0: Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have another really exciting guest for you today. Uh, we've been doing more guest interviews. I've been on the road a lot, and uh, we'll, we'll get back into the, the Monday episode soon uh, with just me. But uh, really exciting people that God has just continued to connect me with as so much of the body of Christ begins to unify under a common banner and just a, a spirit of unity happening, I think, in the pro-life movement in the church to a larger degree than I've seen before, as people stop caring so much about their branding in their lane and want to unite to fight in this moment. Um, And Ryan Bomberger is one of the many faithful individuals in the pro-life movement for a long time um, who has cared far more about honoring Christ and defending life than his reputation or getting accolades from the secular culture. You may have seen him before. He's gone viral several times. He's a powerful witness against the culture of death, conceived in rape, adopted at six weeks old, into a multiracial Christian family of 15, an Emmy Award winning creative professional and author, the founder of the Radiance Foundation. Ryan is happily married to the love of his life, Bethany. They are proud homeschooling parents, so you know they're doing the right thing, of four amazing children, two of whom were adopted. And of course, the culture of death hates Ryan Baumberger uh, because he's a minority who they will accuse of having internalized his whiteness um, and therefore uh, entrenching the systematic uh, hegemony of oppression that he's wielding against his own black brothers and sisters. A bunch of crap, as you know. He's a powerful voice of truth and life in the public square. And I hope this conversation blesses you and fires you up. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted <laughs> Ryan, welcome to the show, brother.
1: Hey, man, I like that intro. (laughs) (laughs) Good, man. I had to talk you up a little bit, you know? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And most of it was true, so that's good. No, I'm joking. Yeah, that's Yeah, that's true.
0: Well, uh, Ryan, as you say, it's just uh, it's just factivism, right? So <laughs> yes,
1: come on, one hundred percent.
0: Well, many of our listeners to the podcast, Ryan, just so you kind of know, um, it's really cool because it's not a necessarily an audience of a bunch of pro life activists, <laughs> you know, who are like regularly engaged in the pro life movement. Um, but there, our listenership is mainly just Christians and concerned families, young people who are just fire, kind of fired up about righteousness and realizing how uh, many steps tyranny has taken in the last <laughs> couple years. And the podcast has grown exponentially, particularly in the last couple years, year and a half, because of the state of the country and the state of our politics. And so um, many of our listeners may not actually be uh, aware of you. Um, and so I wanted to have you on because you've been such a faithful voice in the pro-life movement for so long. But y- you, are, you are sort of a nightmare, <laughs> <laughs> to the uh, secular progressive culture, um, you know, as is Candace Owens and you know, um, David Harris Jr. and these others. But you add a couple more um, sort of cognitive dissonance boxes uh, to the culture of death, uh, conceived in rape, adopted, uh, minority, conservative, Christian pro-life, <laughs> masculine, toxic masculinity. I mean, you know, at this point, the culture of death is like, you know, it's like a you know, malfunction, malfunction. Uh, and so I wanted you to kind of just tell your story, brother, uh, you know, as quick or as long as you'd like. C- kind of start from the beginning because all of our lives started from the beginning, obviously. We were knit together in our mother's womb. Uh, but not all of us um, had it as a traumatic uh, of a beginning um, with, a, with a degenerate father. Um who cared more about um, getting off and abusing women um, than fathering the children he created? So, uh, you know, dive into your story, brother. Uh, and then let's, yeah, and then i want I want you to tell how you got involved in the pro-life movement, but start from the beginning.
1: Sure. I'm um, the fringe example um, that you know when we talk about any kind of issue, it's always the fringe that gives shape to that issue. And I am right. part of that fringe. I'm that one percent. That is used 100% of the time to justify abortion. Anytime you have a conversation about abortion, it inevitably gets to that question, well, what about rape? Exactly. And I'm the tangible example, of the tangible testimony, uh, the answer mm-hmm. to that, or at least part of the answer to that, um, part mm-hmm. of the testimony that triumph rises from tragedy all the time. So even though my birth mom experienced the horror and the violence of rape. I thank God she not only gave me the incredible gift of life, but gave me the gift of adoption. And as you mentioned, a yeah. uh, small little family of 15. And so <laughs> it, it just people ask, why are you pro-life? And, you know, why do you even care about this issue? And I'm thinking, first of all, it's it's wow. a human issue. So all of us should care about it. But right. it courses through my veins because I had two parents who love the mess out of all of their children. They're three wow. um, homemade or biological children, whatever you want to call them. And then, you know, the 10 that they adopted, all 13 of us were loved like crazy. Unreal. And, you know, today ten. I have adopted four ten. kids. Wow. Yeah. And, and I'm an adoptive father too. So that's yeah. kind of why I'm so passionate about this because adoption saved my life. And now I'm able to kind of turn that back around and to fight for the most marginalized. So that's yeah. a little bit of my background story. Yeah.
0: Well, um, you know, Ryan, we we often have abortion survivors on this show. Um, obviously, you know, M- Melissa Oden and, and now others in her Abortion Survivors Network. And I love to have them share their stories just because of what a powerful counterexample it is um, right. to the culture of death. And now, obviously, you, you didn't survive an attempted abortion, but it, it is a similar story in the sense that it does provide this powerful counter-narrative. To, um, to the culture of death, right? It's like, well, with an abortion survivor, mom paid for an abortion so she deserves a dead child. And then, and then rape babies or whatever, they, they call them demon seeds sometimes. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, disgusting terminology. Yeah. They're used as the justification for abortion as well. Um, but one of, the, uh, one of the common experiences of abortion survivors, obviously, is the trauma and the experience of learning their story. I mean that's right. that's a weight to be to be thrown onto you at, right. at really any age. So do you want to talk to that like when did you learn that aspect of your conception and your history? What was that like for you? How old were you? How did that shape who you became in that next season?
1: you know Yeah, man, that was such a catalyst moment. I was actually thirteen. And, you know, teenage years are already just normal and calm. Not really. (laughs) They're they're pretty much tumultuous. And But you throw into the mix, hi, remember your whole origin story, the one that you've been thinking and and sharing with friends? That's not exactly how it is. So apparently I did not understand at a young age what my parents were trying to explain as far as being conceived in rape. I didn't understand what the word rape meant. So at 13 in a really, let me say, a, a tense conversation, I was a, I was a, I was a difficult child. I was I was a handful. So for those who have stubborn, will children, you know, strong-willed children just stubborn like uh, nobody's business, right, right, right. just uh, hold on for about 20-25 years, it'll turn into something good. <laughs> but anyway, I was in this argument with my with my mom and throughout that conversation she was saying, you know, I don't understand where your anger comes from. It must come f- must come from your biological father because I had extreme temper issues when I was a, when I was a kid. And then she said, "Well, I just don't understand." And and through that, it it was revealed that I was conceived in rape. Wow. And man, I was like, "What? What do you What do you mean?" And so she she explained, and then she realized that I hadn't understood what that meant years earlier. Right. Sure. So that was devastating. I just remember standing in front of the the bathroom mirror and just crying and thinking, oh, "Why am I even here?" Because for, for all those years, I kept thinking, well, why did she give me up? Why did she, right. you know, that was my mindset. Of course, I don't use that terminology. Adoption is giving a gift. But I kept thinking, why didn't she want me? And then I understood, but I also understood wow. from a very different perspective how powerful and courageous des- a decision that was. So it was a, it was a catalyst moment for me because at the age of 13, I was in public school and I gave a persuasion speech weeks later after this whole rewrite of my origin story. And I realized I had a story to tell. And I, you know, I shared about abortion in public school, and it was a pro-life presentation. I watched the way my, my friends reacted, yes. watched the way my teacher reacted. And I and I knew, I knew that there was something more than just having the story, but it was that I, I needed to share that story. Wow. 13. <laughs> wow. Where'd you grow up? <clears throat> in uh, Amish country. In Pennsylvania Dutch country, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, people don't believe me. I grew up on a farm. I used to milk cows. I had a shovel pig slop mess. But yeah, I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and uh, and I loved it. Yeah,
0: that's incredible. So, what was was that a a pretty uh, was that a turning point in your life that was planting the seeds of factivism and the Radiance Foundation? That that public high school speech and watching how your peers responded to your story
1: well yeah because i didn't even understand what i didn't know what abortion was i knew what adoption was i mean look around my family we got white black native american vietnamese i obviously knew that we were from different places Uh, it's funny because sometimes people ask well when did you first realize you were adopted i'm like as soon as i could see i mean i could tell my skin color was a little different but anyway it was just that was such an incredible moment i remember the the trifold display i had in in that classroom in that for that persuasion speech but i I understood one i'm cutting out all these things you know the brochures because that's all i had back then um you know it was years and years and years ago and i learned so much about abortion i couldn't even understand how could someone possibly do this how could someone do this to another human being and so it was an education on my part and it was also this realization that not only did i have a reason to be against abortion the violence and the, the just the evil of abortion uh, I had a story that could convince others about how evil abortion was so it really was a transformational moment it took obviously years and years for that to to come into tangible form as far as my my involvement in fighting abortion uh, and promoting adoption but yeah Thirteen, yeah. and brain. it's so
0: it's so powerful, brother, because uh, it it just testifies to the truth, you know. And and there are there are those in the in the pro life movement, in the conservative movement, who we know who who do sometimes like to use men or women, men like yourself or women who have similar stories, or they might contradict the prevailing leftist narrative. But because they're a minority or they have a story, they get propped up. Because, you know, the pro-lifers want to say, no, look, we're not racist. Or, you know, no, look, the black people agree with us. <laughs> but it's not about that. It's just the fact that it testifies to the truth. Because as soon as 100%. you say, well, I'm a survivor of rape, uh, or, or my uh, my mother was raped and pressured to abort me, uh, so I'm the 1%. So tell me when my life began to matter. <laughs> it's the same thing with abortion survivors. Like, So tell me when my reproductive rights began. You know, Boy. or as Melissa Odin says, you know, how could the act that nearly took my life simultaneously be my fundamental right to exercise? You know, and those kind of stories right. and narratives—it's just like that. You know, malfunction, malfunction. Like, oh, that, and that's why the culture of death hates you. That's why Ed Stetzer hates you, and we'll get to that later. But um, so, tell the story of Radiance Foundation, then, Ryan. So, so when did you launch yourself out? Not just in conversations by being a bold voice, but like, no, I'm going to actually step out into, into the public square. This is going to be our family's heritage and mission.
1: It was actually in 2009, my wife, Bethany, and I uh, were facing a, a change in job situation. My wife had taught for 13 years and she had already stepped out of teaching to be a stay at home mom, which we all know is a misnomer. No one ever actually stays at home and it's a <laughs> just an insanely busy, crazy job and That's you know, good. beautiful yeah. thing. But I was leaving my particular job as a creative director for a very large organization at the time, and we had just just finished the paperwork for Radiance Foundation because we wanted to actually talk about these culture-shaping issues from a biblical perspective. We wanted to equip people because we felt like Christians in particular were just so afraid to engage in yeah. these, these crucial topics. And so we wanted to launch the Radiance Foundation to equip and enable people to not only engage in these conversations, but help to motivate people with that education, with that faith um, put into action. Yeah. And so 2009 is when we started. Yeah. The economy was insane. It was yeah. not good. People thought we were crazy to, why would you leave your full-time job to start a nonprofit, which we knew nothing about running a nonprofit. Um, so uh, kudos to you for getting ready to launch your own, (laughs) You know, God God equips and enables you to do these things. Uh, When He calls you to do something, He's going to equip you. And we had that assurance in our hearts. And so it was next to salvation, marrying my wife and having our four kiddos, best decision uh, ever in our lives to start the Radiance Foundation. So that was, what, 13 years ago now? And we're going on our 14th year. And God has blessed us in ways that we never could have imagined, opened up so many doors. So, yeah, back in 2009 is when we decided to step out of the boat and uh, put our toes in those crazy stormy waters. and. It was it was an awesome life changing thing for our entire family. That's good. Yeah.
0: Well, and for those of you guys who aren't aware, and we'll put the the link in the show notes, but the Radiance Foundation has some of the the, the most uh, creative and. Uh, sort of edgy and, you know, really captures your attention kind of content, uh, both uh, graphically and also uh, vi- with video, and so uh, go check out the organization, and, and I'm sure Ryan will talk more about that. But, um, <clears throat> Ryan, as as a, um, a minority, as a black man um, who is pro-life, conservative, and Christian, again, these are, you know, you're not supposed to think that way. You're supposed to be on the Democrats' <laughs> plantation, remember? Um, yeah. which is just an ideological one today, but it's still yes. very much a plantation, and you get treated uh, somewhat like a slave um, if you dare to try to leave uh, that plantation. And this is why it takes conservatives to do films on people like Clarence Thomas. It takes conservatives to bring awareness to people like Dr. Mildred Jefferson, because no one, no one on the left wants to acknowledge the existence of these beautiful individuals, thoughtful, smart articulate and usually <laughs> men and women of faith because it just destroys the the whole um, narrative. And so uh, very open-ended, I guess, kind of question or conversation. but talk to your experience contending in the public square uh, given your ethnicity, your background, your experiences when we talk about systemic racism, oh. you know and, and and the fact that Black Lives Matter not just uh, uh, is against school choice, is silent on fatherlessness in black homes, is silent on black on black crime while they say Black Lives Matter, but also they're pro-abortion. And Alicia Garza, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, in 2019 launched Supermajority with Cecile Richards, the former president of Planned Parenthood. Supermajority existed to drive out the vote for Trump and to raise up young women to be activists for abortion. Oh, interesting, a black woman who founded Black Lives Matter teaming up with probably one of the biggest white racists in the country who leads an organization that lynches more unarmed black lives every two weeks than the KKK lynched in a century. What has that been like for you and your family in that that sphere and in that context when all of these sort of ideologies begin to coalesce?
1: Well, first and foremost, it's important to actually have your identity rooted in Christ so it doesn't get uprooted by everything else. So my identity is not as a black individual or, well, I'm mixed, so I'm black and white. So I guess according to systemic oppression and all that, critical race theory garbage i am both the oppressed and the oppressor so yeah, yeah. well maybe you could maybe your white half
0: can pay reparations to your black half yeah, you
1: might as well exactly. this. yeah <laughs> it's it, it's so insane which is why I, knowing who i am and knowing why i was created part of that is is to be a reconciler is to be able to talk about these issues that unfortunately some in our society feel like they can't you know, can't speak up about, which, you know, you have those who say, well, you have to be a certain hue to be able to speak about these issues. That's garbage. I mean, I think mm-hmm. of uh, Frederick Douglas's North Star, you know, that famed famed abolitionist Frederick Douglas, who was also conceived in rape, by the way, but mm-hmm. on the, the slogan of his newspaper, it says truth is, I'm sorry, right is of no sex. Truth is of no color. God is father of us all. We are all brethren. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Truth is of no color. So we can't fear going out to speak, and and certainly of no gender either. And there are only two. But anyway, um, it, it's been such an incredible ride. When we first started the Radiance Foundation, we lived in Atlanta, and yeah. there, it's sometimes it feels like the Civil War just ended yesterday. But we decided, you know, we're going to talk about two really difficult issues: race and abortion. And when we did that, whole my gosh, the the explosion was insane. Mainstream media, I mean, it was probably one of the most covered pro-life billboard campaigns ever, working with our friend Catherine Davis out of Georgia. Too many right to aborted, life.
0: is that right? Too many aborted, yes. Talk and about we, that. Talk about that campaign and what you guys did.
1: Yeah, it was <laughs> – We we realized really quickly how fake news is. <laughs> when we launched this billboard campaign that said, Black children are an endangered species, too many aborted.com. And it dealt with the history of Planned Parenthood, history of eugenics, talked about the resources that are available for those facing unplanned pregnancies. And of course, it was a call for, for men to step up and to be uh, fathers and inform, uh, you know, involved fathers, not just. You know, the absent father because, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really just cut up t- It touched on the, the epidemic of fatherlessness. Anyway, the billboard campaign started in Atlanta, about eighty billboards. And, oh, my gosh, New York Times, I mean, USA Today, CNN, (laughs) MSNBC, the list goes on and on. I remember New York Times journalist was asking, well, where are you getting these numbers from? And I was talking about the disproportionate impact where abortion rates are, you know, at that time, up to four times higher. In New York City, it was up to five times higher than the majority population. And she said, well, where are you getting these numbers? These just sound really conspiratorial. I'm like, they're from the CDC. I mean, now, granted, (laughs) the CDC is a dubious organization, you know, federal agency, but— they're directly from the CDC, and it was really remarkable the way that mainstream media responded because I didn't fit their narrative. You know what I mean? I I wasn't the white male Republican that you know the old white male Republican, and I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for them, but they get demonized for being pro life. But NPR in particular, they did a a, a cover. Um, what is it called? All Things Considered. So they did a story on the billboard campaign that I designed, that our organization released, and Georgia Right to Life paid for the billboards. But we did all the the content creation. And at the end of this offline interview, when they finally aired it, I'm I'm nowhere in the three and a half minutes. They had three (laughs) pro-abortion perspectives and one pro-life perspective, which was Catherine Davis. But they didn't mention me at all. And that's when I realized (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like you have no interest. I mean, national pro-choice radio now, national pro-abortion radio. They're certainly not at all interested in in providing balance. I've heard that, that before.
0: National pro-choice <laughs> radio. That's good. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that was our induction into, okay, mainstream media doesn't care about the truth. Yeah. They're they they you know they focus on advocacy more than they focus on accuracy, which is what yeah. what drove us to be the factivists that we are today activist. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You guys coined that. I love that. Um, so Ryan, uh, one of the sources of constant frustration for me, and I can only imagine uh, for you, brother, um, is is the, the, how the narratives have been built when we talk about racism, when we talk about um, the historic sin uh, of slavery in America, um, and when we talk about abortion. When, when these ideologies begin to coalesce, um, it just creates really strange talking points, really strange opinions people have. And so, you know, for example, let's—I I, would—I would love to get your thoughts on on a couple people here, Ryan. If you feel comfortable addressing them, you okay. have people like Lecrae. Okay, Lecrae, um, who I listened to for probably a decade. Okay, uh, Lecrae has publicly shared in the past his regret over paying for. providing an abortion uh you know early on in his earlier parts of his spiritual walk he was heavily influenced by john piper um who has been pretty solid advocate of the unborn until september october of 2020 in a garbage piece um which I, i talked at the time but basically he said the sin of pride trump he wouldn't say it and the sin of killing babies Biden he wouldn't name the politicians but it's very clear what he's talking about uh well, all sins equal, Ryan. So it's kind of eh, pride. Pride leads to death because all sin leads to death. Abortion leads to death. So I guess the national sin of genocide is kind of morally equivalent to the personal foibles and pride of a president. So therefore, maybe don't vote at all or maybe vo- uh, uh, or maybe you do have spiritual license to vote for Biden because, you know, the pride of sin destroys a nation, too. That was the premise of his article. So I, I don't really trust John Piper anymore on some of these moral issues. But he he was heavily influenced by John Piper. And in the last few years, Lecrae has had kind of this deconstruction journey, and then reconstructing his faith. And now he's BFS with Phil Vischer over at the Veggie Tales, who you know was pushing the Democrat policies decrease abortion <gasps> rates talking point. Ryan, right, remember that one? Right. So therefore, mm. therefore, while I, Phil Vischer, am personally pro-life. Um, I'm also whole life, whole life. And so the Democrat Party has a more consistent ethic, seamless garment of life because they're good on other life issues like Bernie Sanders, like universal health care and universal basic income and sex trafficking and poverty. And I'm prostituting my individual biblical mandate to love neighbor to the government so that I can feel really compassionate. Those are life issues, too. And Democrats are better at those, Ryan. So while they lynch babies in the womb, I'm going to overlook slaughtering children in the womb in order to secure quality of life outside the womb but don't worry I'm really pro-life so so Lecrae was heavily influenced by Phil Vischer in the last season and he was on his show with him and and then Lecrae started pitching some of these talking points too but he says no don't worry I'm really pro-life and then and then what really took the cake Ryan was when he performed at a get out the vote rally for mm-hmm. Raphael Warnock and John mm-hmm. Ossoff. And thanks to his efforts, he 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 was part of helping get out the vote for those men, which resulted in them both getting those senator seats in Georgia, which made the Senate go 50-50 with Kamala Harris as the tie-breaking vote. Right. I don't think it's right. unfair to say, Ryan, that there is a lot of unborn child, unborn blood on Lecrae's hands for helping cooperate in ensuring that the Senate goes 50-50 with a tie-breaking vote by the most pro-abortion politician in American history, Kamala Harris, who makes Obama look like a moderate on abortion. Um, so, that so so you know, you have men like this who say they're deeply in love with Jesus, they are pro-life, and yet you have people like Ryan Baumberger. and you couldn't be more different than Lecrae. If you if Lecrae was on the podcast, by the way, we I have a friend Tony McFadden, you might know who who she is, great pro life voice. Yeah. She spoke at the March for Life. I've had her on the podcast. We did an episode called uh, "Black Pro Life Leaders You've Never Heard Of," and she talked about some of her heroes, including Mildred Jefferson. But she told me once that, and we talked about Lecrae, of course, by the way, and, uh, and she said she reached out to Lecrae uh, asking for a conversation, and he responded. And said, no way, essentially. So there has been multiple figures who have reached out to Lecrae to try to have that conversation about what I would call um, heresy, Ryan, heresy. Um, And he's not interested in it. So what would you say to someone like that? And and the growing number of people like that who castigate men like yourself as internalizing your whiteness or some crap.
1: Well, yeah, and there's a lot of crap with that. Lecrae, I wrote an article <laughs> about Lecrae and that whole uh, rally that he joined. The, the The internet post that he on Facebook, he posted about how he's politically agnostic. How are you politically agnostic? And you're at a rally to vote for two radical leftists, pro-abortion, pro-LGBT, anti-family, anti-biblical everything. I mean, how in the world do you call yourself—I mean, he's not even honest with himself. I don't think you know what agnosticism is. Plus, there's no such (laughs) thing as somebody actually being politically agnostic. Um, It's it's just such a— you hear a lot of these these um, mantras thrown out by those who are on the political left, especially, you know, casting aspersions against the pro-lifers, conservatives, Christians, you know, cr- you know, pro-lifers don't care about people after they're born. Um, OK, that's a great bumper sticker. But once you peel it off, you realize there's no substance underneath LaCrae, But this yeah. is the whole thing that happens all the time. They just throw out these little, you know, these little pejoratives and they can never back them up. LaCrae couldn't back any of it up. I mean, for him to even say that he's pro-life and to have gone through the experience that he did. Right, and you're right. now literally shilling for the abortion industry because Warnock, I mean, he had, his war chest was <laughs> filled in by Planned Parenthood, as was Ossoff. Yep. I mean, it's just,
0: I'm, I'm a pro-choice pastor. Remember?
1: Uh, yeah, oh, That's yeah. Pro-choice. Saying. Yeah. Well, I guess if if the killing of the innocent, if that violence is OK, then in, in the, you know Warnock's version of Christianity, everything is OK. That's right. I mean, this is this is the reality of the, the evangelical left. I mean, remember the evangelicals for Biden? I mean, what?
0: Pro-life evangelicals for Biden.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah the pro-life yeah, yeah, evangelicals yeah. for Biden. I mean, these are the same people. I mean, their whole mentality is that pro-slavery politicians would have reduced slavery. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me how that works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's right. not even—I mean, there's no intellectual honesty. There's no moral honesty. Not that honesty needs a qualifier whatsoever, but— uh, Lecrae, it, it's just so sad to see how far. I mean, the further you get away from the Bible, the further you yeah. get away from biblical truths. The more you can espouse the kind of nonsense that he's espousing. It, it, it's sad. I'm always, I'm a firm believer in redemption. I believe that God pulls people back, and then but God puts people in people's, in in, you know, the lost lives. I mean, thank God He pulled me back, <laughs> but yeah. Lecrae is lost. He's lost on so many levels, and it's sad to see it because he does have a massive influence. Oh yeah. uh, Oh yeah.
0: Oh, he may have one of the largest, if not the largest, following of a a um, explicitly Christian artist who's who always talks about their faith. Now, you and I would say, uh, well, I don't. I don't know if I necessarily know what faith that is. I don't really recognize that faith. But for a long time, we would have said he was more orthodox. And so to watch that has been really sad. And really the the giveaway for me, Ryan, has always been this um, with people like Lecrae, the the, the smoking gun. The thing that proves it all is is their silence on and... (laughs) cooperation with evil when it comes to abortion because lecrae became this very loud voice on black lives matter right as did a lot of other christian rap artists that i was really disappointed in who were just parroting the talking points but they became so passionate vocal and consistent in sharing about slavery and systemic racism and and the disproportionate arrest rates of black men, and the disproportionate shooting of black men, and I was like, well, maybe you haven't read Thomas Sowell. Oh yeah, you don't even know his name, but whatever. It's a conversation for another time. Right. Uh, but the the disproportionate outrage between slavery from 150 years ago, okay, to more unarmed black lives, and this is credit to you and Radiance Foundation, Ryan, more unarmed black lives being lynched in the womb every two weeks than the KKK lynched in a century. Spare me your outrage. I mean, we're talking about black lives being lynched now, now, and you have way more outrage and anger towards historical injustices And according to the Washington Post, brother, nine unarmed black men shot by police officers in 2019. Oh, by the way, five of whom were attacking the police officer. They just weren't armed with a firearm. So Washington Post still called it unarmed. So according to WAPO in 2019, four unarmed black men were shot in an unjustified way by white police officers. And you have entire movements and campaigns to raise millions under the talking points of systemic racism but nowhere is there a greater example today of systemic racism than the fact that three and a half percent of the american public black women of childbearing age obtained according to the cdc and u.s census bureau 37 to 40 percent Of the abortions. Doesn't that, Ryan? Here's my question for you: doesn't that prove the equity talking point false? Because there's actually there's that's not it's very just in that sense because you've got three and a half percent of the American public obtaining 40% of the abortions. Isn't that justice that now black people they're 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 getting more services of reproductive health care than white folks for the for what they represent in the population? There, we have equity now, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, but their whole sense of equity is so warped. I mean, and the whole thing of reproductive justice. I mean, there's no justice when the weak are harmed or killed. And the whole thing, they always compare it to slavery too. I'm like, wait a minute. So you had an industry that severed children from their mothers and profited in the billions. Today, you have an industry, the abortion industry, that severs children inside of their mothers and profits mm. in the billions. If you want to compare it to slavery, let's compare it to that. And the fact that There, I mean, how in the world someone of my complexion can't even understand the gravity of the lack of personhood to say that, oh, wait, no, that group of human beings, you're not human enough. Therefore, I mean, it's Uh such a we have we have a culture that's so narcissistic, white, black and every human between doesn't matter the color of the individual. But we have we're such a narcissistic society. And so for. To look at this thing as if you know this is this is an equality thing. This is something that elevates people. This is something that gives that empowers. You know the whole garbage about you know bodily autonomy. Well, as Christians, we have to understand that our bodies are not ours. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to act accordingly. And so, whether you're male or female, that takes a whole different direction. And of course, it can never end with oh, the killing of the innocent. So. you have so many of these, these black celebrities, whether they're athletes, whether they're artists. I mean, standing with a with a movement that's radically pro-abortion, that's radically anti-fatherhood, anti-family, that once you know, dismantle the the westernized, you know, concept of the nuclear family, abolish prisons, abolish um, you know, police departments. It's out of touch, not only with society, it's out of touch with reality.
0: With reality, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So systemic racism, yeah, there is systemic racism. And I always distinguish there is systemic racism and there is specific racism. Most of what the Black Lives Matter movement and CRT, you know, enthusiasts always talk about are specific instances of racism, not systemic. If you want to talk about systemic racism, talk about an industry that kills black lives disproportionately, 360 a day at Planned Parenthood. That's systemic racism.
0: Yeah, and, and so once again, that's the smoking gun, right? It proves right. it all. It proves how inconsistent they are. These people are not concerned with justice, right? If they were concerned no. with justice, they'd become pro-life. That victim class, the unborn, must be set aside. They must be filtered out with the theory that comes along with abortion rights. It's an inconvenient victim class, which goes to show you it was never about justice. It was about power, and right. and, 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 and 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 breaking up American citizens against one another with yep. these with these arguments of oppression you're the oppressor class you're the oppressed class so we we need the proletariat we need the uprising of the working class except when the truckers had an uprising of the working class <laughs> suddenly the elite <laughs> entrenched regime didn't like workers of the world uniting once again oh let we could go on and on for days ryan many examples that disprove the narrative these people are not concerned with the ideologies right. and the talking points they push it's done to accrue political power and to entrench that political power permanently. And any student yes. of history should, should certainly know that. Um, but, but brother, um, I want you to share your story um, speaking at Wheaton College. So I went to Westmont College. I was telling you off-air beforehand, yeah. Ryan. Westmont College is one of the most progressively left Christian universities in the country, okay, bro? Their, their, uh, their emblem, okay, it says, it says Christus, Christus prumatum tenens. It means Christ preeminent in all things. Um, except the prenatal Christ, apparently, at Westmont College, and all babies created in the image of the prenatal Christ because my alma mater hires pro-abortion professors. I'm not talking about personally pro-life. You know that, the personally pro-life? No, no, Mm. I'm not talking about personally pro-life Christians, Ryan. I'm talking about professors there who told me in emails that I still have I'm going to put in a book one day that they support legal abortion. They believe it should be. And the... the, uh, Political uh, science department at Westmont while I was a student, and I have the data, they 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 did a, a study asking faculty, just faculty, so teaching professors um, their political priorities, who they voted for in 08 and 012. Over 60% of the teaching faculty at Westmont College voted for Obama in 08 and 012 and 12. So so even if you have some pro-lifers there, they were still voting for the most pro-abortion president at the time, and many of them are actually pro-abortion. So that's my alma mater, bro. <laughs> Wheaton has been called Westmont of the West. Uh, when I was on campus at Westmont, people would say that. They'd say, because we'd have like, uh, what was it called when students would do a semester at a different school? I forgot the phrase. They'd come over to Westmont and we'd joke, we'd, oh, you're from Wheaton, uh, Wheaton of the uh, Westmont of the West. And and then they would say that about Westmont. So anyway, so right. that's the campus you were on. Very similar uh, academic. Climate. Um, these are the kind of people I say, Ryan, who love to get high off their own intellectual flatulence. Um, make, they make themselves feel really smart. Uh, here are some phrases that you would know: uh, uh, um, nuanced, um, complex, uh, the gray uh, area. Um, these are points. phrases that that the academic elites, Ryan, they love it. Oh man, it's like crack. It's like it's like it's like Joe Biden's son. It's just like the, it just makes them feel so good. Um, and so. Ed Stetzer uh, is the, I believe, the dean um, over, at we- over at Wheaton. I did an episode two weeks ago, Ryan, called The Shepherds Who Became uh, Wolves. Um, uh, in one of my most controversial episodes, I went after Rick Warren, J.D. Greer, Ed Stetzer, um, Tim Keller, um, and uh, several others. Um, and, but Ed Stetzer in particular, man, oh my goodness, what a snake he is in the church. His man crush on Francis Collins... Um, who's a, apparently a, a beloved brother, Christian brother, uh, the disgraced NIH director who has funded the mastectomies of hel- of 13-year-old girls, tracked the homosexual activities of teenage boys, and called for unrestricted funding to embryonic stem cell research and devoted record-level funding to uh, to um, fetal tissue research and fetal organ harvesting. Right. What a great Christian right. brother he is, know, says that's that, sir. So you spoke at Wheaton uh, with a club there that had you out, um, and I covered this in my podcast, actually, um, Ryan, Ed Stetzer's response to your your speech. Talk about that experience and also maybe some insights you gleaned from it. And maybe, I don't know what it tells us about the state of Christian academia and evangelicalism. Can you t- share that story with our listeners?
1: Yeah, that was, that was a little unexpected. I mean, I've spoken on many different college campuses, Harvard, Princeton, University of Notre Dame, Penn State, the list goes on and on. I just assumed, and I shouldn't have, um, that Wheaton College being an evangelical Christian college was going to be a friendlier environment. What I didn't do, and I typically do before I speak on a college campus, I get the, 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 the climate, I guess, of that campus, sure. but I made some assumptions before going in there. My presentation was called Black Lives Matter in and out of the womb, and I was talking about the systemic racism of the abortion industry. And then I was giving specific examples from black lives matter from the website, some of their founding principles, some of their, you know, manifesto elements. And I was showing how unbiblical they were and giving very specific examples. Well, after the presentation, which, you know, was a packed out auditorium and there was a very, very long Q and a, which I think lasted maybe 45 minutes or something insane like that. Well, we turned our cameras off and then there was a group that, that gathered at the bottom and they started asking me questions. Um, I wish we had the camera running but anyway yeah started asking me questions and first one of the first things was about Trump and and you know the KKK supported Trump and didn't you vote for Trump which none of that had anything to do with the presentation I said it doesn't matter who I voted for and I said it actually doesn't matter who the KKK supports KKK and any other broken Clown outfit can can endorse any presidential candidate. Yep. I mean, yep. Trump, you know, rejected the endorsement. Then it went into all these different strange things, like, uh, you know, one of the students asked about um, the collective guilt of white people and. And slavery. I said, well, what about the collective guilt of black individuals who also own slaves? What about the fact that slavery existed long before the chattel slavery, the transatlantic slave trade? And what about the fact that Africa is the continent where slavery most, I mean, exists more than any other? Continent on the on the planet, who should be collectively guilty? I said, as Christians, we know that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So, aren't wow. we all guilty? They didn't like that response. <laughs> One of them started crying about, you know, the fact that he was t- terrified to come out of his house during Halloween because of the KKK. I mean, it went on and on. So, wow. <laughs> the next the it's next day, they called. him yeah. Well, it, it was, and here's the thing: Steve Ivester, who was the dean of, I think, student life. I may not have the exact title. He came yeah. up to me afterward. At, you know, after this second Q&A, he said, brother, I am so amazed at the the grace in which you responded to these questions. That was amazing. And I thought, well, I appreciate that because it was really hostile. And I was trying to try just to be calm because there were some deeply emotional students. Well, the next day that that department called a meeting and uh, a day or two after that, they sent out a campus wide email saying that, my my presentation was filled with harmful rhetoric that it made students staff and faculty of color feel unheard <laughs> underrepresented hello i'm brown but you're underrepresented yeah, yeah, yeah. and unsafe that was the ca- <laughs> unsafe on campus that my presentation wow. which was a fact-based you know biblically based grace-filled presentation made people feel unsafe on campus and they wow. demonized the college republicans who had brought me in they never mentioned anything about me certainly not my own skin color since they were all you know fixated on on race right. and they didn't give anybody a link to the actual presentation so they could come up with solutions <laughs> it was a wow. nightmare of months and months of the administration demonizing us refusing to meet with us they canceled a meeting just – just wow. I think it was 30 minutes before because we asked to have one of our board members listen to the conversation because we had to have one of our board understand what was going on. They refused the leadership, Phil Riken, who's the president. It was a fiasco, and what I came out of that, <laughs> what I learned from that was that students are taught to fear at Wheaton and not to think. Yeah. I didn't realize how beholden they were to critical race theory, to Black Lives Matter. I mean, the cult of all of this, they have yeah. firmly embraced it. And Ed Stetzer, oh my gosh. I, ooh, there are so many things <laughs> I could say about Ed Stetzer. Let me just say that he apparently was, was tasked, tasked by the administration to further smear me in Christianity today. And I actually believe—I'm pretty sure those articles have actually been removed— by Ed Stetzer, wow. just trashing me and saying that we were threatening to sue students. No, it was the student life department, it was the administration that sent out that email, along with three student government leaders, two of whom never even attended the event. But don't worry, they're talking wow. about how dangerous my talk was. Ed Stetzer, dangerous. honestly, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have zero, zero, <laughs> zero respect. For someone like him, who never bothered to reach out yeah. to me, who just continued to, you know, repeat the lies. Like one of the lies they were saying is that I was I was claiming that racism doesn't exist. I'm like, you mean a presentation that was about the racism of the abortion <laughs> yeah. industry, and I'm saying that. To- yeah, yeah. Come <laughs> on. Oh, anyway, so that's Difficult. that's a long-winded version of what happened yeah. at Wheaton. You know, we write about it, you know, on our website that people can see more of the details and the crazy messages and the actual email that I'm talking about. Yeah. That was a disappointment. It's actually scary to think that this is how Christian young men and women are being trained up in our supposedly Christian colleges.
0: Yep. Well, that's the no takeaway, biblical- isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, we start to wonder why um, we have not had the pastors on our side in the pro-life movement for so many decades. Well, no wonder. Look at the institutions right. that the next generation of pastors are educated at. And much of that goes uh, holds true as well, Ryan, for seminaries. Um, most right. of our seminaries are about as much of a joke as our Christian undergraduate colleges. But I, I recall Ed Stetzer's uh, comments, Ryan, after your speech. Um, and he, he literally said, honestly, I would not have used the charged word safe that the students used in that email. But it does convey the kind of place we want Whedon to be. A safe place to debate ideas and a safe place for people of color. Um, Right, Ed, that was what Ryan was talking about. A safe place for pre-born people of color. Um, many of whom are probably being killed in the womb by your undergraduate students who are sleeping around because you don't take a robust moral position <laughs> on God's view of a sexual ethic and certainly on whether or not we should lynch the uh, the those who are conceived when you live outside of God's sexual ethic. Um, that systemic racism is not problematic enough for Ed Stetzer. Why? Because it's politically inexpedient to his position rubbing shoulders with big libs who donate to uh, fund his, his uh, sort of spiritual uh, career. And, right. uh, and what, a, what a disappointment he's been. Well, Ryan, as we wrap up, because I know it's been some time, uh, this, this uh, is in the news right now. Um, we're going to have my buddy on the show soon who, who was involved in this. But this uh, hashtag Justice for the Five is, is trending right now. Um, some pro-life activists uh, eclectic group of pro-life activists Ryan some are are born again believers and some are with the progressive anti-abortion uprising a bunch of Atheists, uh, vegans uh, love the cows. Democrats, but they're pro-life activists, which I praise God for. I don't. I don't think they can ground their moral case against abortion because we're just blobs of tissue. We're we're just uh, atoms banging around in the universe. Why are we more valuable than a cow? But don't have time to get into that. But praise God that they're trying to rescue children. They found about five aborted children in in vats of solution behind an abortion clinic in dc one of one of whom uh actually our friend melissa odin one of her survivors survived Santangelo's hands uh the abortionist at this uh dc abortion clinic uh disgusting man and uh some of these babies were second and third trimester bro and some of their heads and skulls strongly 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 suggest ryan Partial birth abortions, which right. the pro-life movement has been trying to tell the culture, while it's illegal, it, we know it's still happening. We know abortionists are still doing partial birth abortions. Uh, we don't have the photos to show on the show. I may do an episode next week and show these, these precious, uh, horrific victims. Um, but where are the social justice warriors, pastors? Pastors, Ryan, where, where are they? I mean, uh, you have a legitimate example of current oppression, of current injustice happening right now. Of babies illegally killed. These are God's image bearers, right? I mean, you want to do, what? What about articulating the heart of God for the oppressed in the public square? Where are the pastors releasing statements and demanding justice? I haven't seen anything from Tim Keller and Ed Stetzer and J.D. Greer and Rick Warren. Uh, where are they, Ryan?
1: <laughs> I think the only injustice that really moves them is calling somebody by the, the wrong pronoun. That's that's our <laughs> form of injustice today. You can actually. I, How do you even see these images? And in fact, even just talking about it, how can you see these images and not be moved as a human being to say, this is murder. This, why are we okay with this in the nation's capital? There's no gestational limit. So they could just be killed. No one ever checks. There's no accountability. And of course we have in many of these states, all these laws being passed so that an abortionist can't be held accountable for any reason. How are we okay with this? What will it take to wake up the church? We don't need denominational letters 50 years from now. Sorry, we didn't engage the way we should. We, we we got those from slavery. Thank you. Thank you for being decades too late or a century too late. We don't need that. What we need are pastors who have courage to actually stand up and not care about getting less in the offering plate, not care about who they're going to offend, because guess what? You may actually usher in healing to those in your congregation who are experiencing this, but to allow this kind of genocide to happen and to see the images of the images of those babies slaughtered and dismembered, yeah, what, what is wrong with our humanity? And as Christians and as the Church, we are the first ones who should be rushing toward justice. Mm-hmm. I. I I don't even understand it. I don't understand it. I know there's a callousness and a coldness to some people's hearts and, and many even within the church that they want to see all these minor little things as injustice. Nothing compares to having life literally ripped from you. That's right. That's right.
0: Well, how many pastors did we see, Ryan, who were marching with BLM uh, protests? Even even right. some of whom did – to be fair, many of those did not turn violent but still you these so many of these pastors popular figures some of whom i just named some of whom i haven't named but we know we right. know what we're talking about some major christian authors and right. figures and right. pastors who 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 posted the black square and they also marched at blm protests that were sponsored put on by blm people or the volunteers of blm like let's not let, let's not pretend that this was some—there was BLM and then there was a bunch of super peaceful, Jesus-loving Christians who were confirmed, uh, concerned with systemic racism. No, most of these rallies and protests were put on by BLM activists on the ground. They marched with them. Why? Because a man named George Floyd, who was being arrested while breaking the law with enough drugs in him to kill a full-grown horse— um, while we can talk about the means used and whether it was an appropriate use of force or not, we have one example of a alleged injustice and it drove out social justice warrior pastors like nothing I've ever seen before. But you have babies whose freaking skull is collapsed in because right. their brains right. were sucked out of their heads and they were throwing in a, thrown in a vat of solution in an alley behind an abortion clinic. And that's just five of them. And I have seen right. no statements from any of these men yet in the past week since this has come out.
1: No, no. I mean, you, you got George Floyd. And yes, I, I, I thought the knee in the neck was an injustice. But any, any life lost, in fact, any life stolen, um, particularly an innocent life as we're talking about with the unborn – That should that should generate outrage from from anybody. I mean, the knee and neck doesn't even compare to the the slaughtered, the the decapitations. I mean, of these uh, of these innocent babies. So people got on that bandwagon. All these pastors got on that bandwagon of an organization that's actually hostile to Christianity. I mean, entirely hostile to Christianity. CRT, which is basically the bedrock. You know, critical race theory is a the bedrock of Black Lives Matter that sees Christianity yep. as the oppressor. But don't worry, Christian pastors, you're watching, you're marching hand in hand with people who yeah. see you as the oppressor. You can keep appeasing all you want, but you can't mold Christianity into the form that's acceptable by Black Lives Matter. That's acceptable by critical race theorists um, and apologists. I, they're MIA. You nailed the word. There are too many Apease. pastors who are yeah. M. I A and they have no excuse. Yep. They they have no excuse, and that's why it's always a remnant, though. And and I am encouraged because honestly, working Amen. with pregnancy centers, maternity homes, adoption agencies, activists, factivists all across this country, we are that remnant that is fighting this evil, that's and right. and we are winning victories. Is abortion abolished yet? No, but we're going to keep on working, and Amen. we'll keep on working after abortion is abolished. Amen. It, it's it's a lifelong fight to protect that's human right. life. And dignity, especially among the, the most vulnerable.
0: Uh, closing thought uh, or two for you, Ryan. That I want you to provide your closing thought. But um, just as a word of encouragement, my my listeners know this, but you know I haven't told you this yet. Um, in twenty, from the end of twenty twenty um, through the end of twenty twenty one, I spoke at more churches in an eleven month period, Ryan, uh, than in all eleven years of my speaking ministry. Um, <laughs> Uh, And these are separate pulpits. These are different congregations. At one point, Ryan, I I was scheduled in a different pulpit. Um, And this is big thanks to people like my Pastor Rob McCoy and Pastor Jack Hibbs and other warrior true shepherds um, who who know how to take up their staff and rather than just scratch their own toe with it, they know how to whack wolves on the head with it and and gird up the fence of their, uh, their, um, uh, you know, where their sheep or captain are actually fighters. And so they, they really helped me get into some of these churches. And it was like a three or four month period at one point. I was in a different pulpit every Sunday. My wife's like, you got to stop. This is too much. You're gone every Sunday. Uh, so there is a stirring going on in the, in the country and in the church. And bro, these were all California churches, Ryan. So right. there, there is a stirring. There is sort of that that early awakening as almost if from a longer coma as the church begins to realize, right. wow, this is a Kairos moment. This is kind of the fall of the Republic. And unfortunately, it took some of their rights to be compromised, unfortunately, for them to start waking up and going, maybe we should defend the rights of the unborn. Right. I'm like, well, right. I, I'm kind of annoyed that it took you experiencing oppression to speak out against the oppression of the unborn, but whatever, at least it worked. And they're starting Oof. to slowly rise right. up we did a conference at Jack Hibbs Church called Love Life California. I put together 1,100, 1,200 people in person, 400 online, uh, Anthony Leventino, Melissa Odin, myself, Kurt Cameron, Nick Vujicic, Monica Klein, uh, phenomenal, John wow. Onchukwu. And we had hundreds, hundreds, bro, come up and fill out the commitment sheet of what they were gonna do in their city to end abortion as sidewalk counseling, post-abortion healing, mentor families committing. Mm. And then Love Life, who my ministry partner was like, so much response it took them weeks to weed through all of the responses and get get people engaged in in activism. And so so there is that stirring, Ryan, and it's been very encouraging. But you know what? I don't think we're going to see the revival that the church has been praying for until until the church begins to tear down the high places. Um, yeah, cl- closing thought, Ryan, thank you for coming on the show. What would you tell our listeners? How can people connect with you, the book you've written? Um and uh, what would be your word to the church in this in twenty twenty two? Might be one of the most politically significant years for the unborn in the church, actually. Any any closing thoughts on your heart, brother?
1: Yes, well you can find out all that we do at the Radiance Foundation, Radiance.life um the book that i that i wrote called not equal civil rights gone wrong was birthed out of this fight um this fight of an abortion industry that is just so inherently racist Uh, but beyond that abortion is a tragedy no matter the hue of skin that's why my wife bethany and i will keep on fighting and i just want to encourage people i know a lot of times we feel like well i'm the only one guess what it's okay courage doesn't need a crowd it just needs conviction And my gosh, we need more Christians who have Holy Spirit conviction about the evil that is around us, about the evil, social injustice, whatever you want to call it, the violence of abortion. Uh, Honestly, just keep on fighting and keep on encouraging your brothers and your sisters who, who are the only ones standing outside an abortion mill who are the only ones trying to get the pastor to actually say something on sanctity of human life Sunday. Oh, wow. Good. We get one Sunday a year (laughs) to the issue of abortion. Way to go. Kudos. Just keep on fighting. Don't ever give up. And of course, doing all this, (laughs) speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth in love doesn't mean being a pushover. Because um, <laughs> Jesus even called some folks a brood of vipers. Come on. So for me, it's like That's speaking right. the truth in love with a little bit of edge, with a little bit of sarcasm. But we have to break through all that noise. Yeah. So love people enough to actually speak the truth uh, and to live the truth. And my gosh, if we don't do something more, we're not. We're going to have more. We can't have the, the, the whole. The, those Those images of the five, as they're called, you know. I think everyone should actually look at that. I think everyone should go to the internet, look that up <laughs> and see that if you don't have the images for for the podcast, but they should actually see that. Um, in fact, I'm getting ready to post that today on our social media accounts. Never give up in doing good. Our work in the Lord is never in vain. So I just want to encourage people because it's easy to quit because Satan wants us to quit. Don't ever quit. Literally, somebody's life depends on you never giving up.
0: And as uh, <clears throat> one of Oscar Schindler's friends once said, Ryan, uh, he who saves one life saves the world entire, uh, and you have no idea the fruit that may come from one person's yes to yes. God, the, how God will use that as you show up in obedience, not as, a, as an epic pro-life speaker with a big platform. You know, we're blessed, Ryan, to have God has given us some, some type of small platform to make a difference. It doesn't matter. You're one yeah. Yes can mean so much. And my heroes are the team here at our church involved in sidewalk counseling who don't have a big Instagram and Facebook page, but they show up outside of our two abortion Planned Parenthood centers in this area and human beings are being saved. Um, Last thought for you, Ryan. What if those five children um, were placed outside of the offices of Rick Warren and Tim Keller and J.D. Greer and Ed Stetzer, and Lecrae, and Phil Vischer, and they had to walk over them to get into their church office to prep their podcaster sermon the day before. Um, I think maybe uh, some of the talking points and false compassion might begin to come apart uh, when you actually have to walk through the bodies of the children whose deaths have not bothered you enough to actually do anything to save. Um, so... Ryan, thank you, brother. We'll put all the links to to connect with you. Grateful for you. Thanks for your your fearless and faithful faithful voice. And uh, we'll see you on the battlefield, brother.
1: Hey Seth, thank you so much, man. Yeah, we'll do it
0: again. You're a blessing. Thanks you for joining the show today, guys. I hope that fired you up and encouraged you. Uh, Get Ryan's book, okay? Uh, You need to know the history of these ideas and these. I call them the intellectual fountainheads or figures in the secular progressive movement. These are the saints. Uh, Margaret Sanger, all the people she piled around with, you need to know the history. And Ryan's story is powerful. Get the book. Eh, Give it to a pro-life evangelical for Biden. Uh, get it for them as a gift Uh, have a coffee over it and expose their bigotry um uh, follow ryan and ratings foundation on social media they have wonderful content if you want to connect with me head on over to itunes spotify youtube give the show rating and review helps us reach more people if you want to support me uh go to the podcast leave five stars leave a review it helps us reach more people climb up the charts we really appreciate it if you want to book me for an event go to sethgruber.com my speaking calendar for the year is filling up quickly would love to bless you and your congregation, your youth group, your pregnancy center. But honestly, Ryan is a hell of a speaker. Uh, And so consider him for any events that you're doing as well. Thanks, guys. We'll tune in next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.